Episode 43, Dave Raymond, the original Philly fanatic and the author of The Power of Fun. Uh, I don't know if they're favorite mistakes, but I certainly have mistakes on top of mistakes stacked up in my life. So, so I may be a month long <laughs> interview. But- I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes and a chance to win a copy of Dave's book, go to markgraben.com slash mistake43. And now on with the show. Hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Um, we've got a really fun episode ahead today. We are joined by Dave Raymond. I'm going to introduce him, uh, tell you a little bit more about his background. The first thing I'm going to say in his email signature, he says he's the emperor of fun. That's a great title. So Dave, thank you for being here. How are you? Well, I'm great. And thank you for including me. I uh, I think it's nice to share to the people who are checking in today that when you told me the format of your show, I said, well, how long is your show? Is it a week? Because <laughs> I could share. Uh, I don't know if they're favorite mistakes, but I certainly have mistakes on top of mistakes stacked up in my life. So so I may be a month long <laughs> interview, but we, I'll let you pick. Well, we, we'd have you back on the show sometimes. But yeah, that's the biggest prep challenge. I think we all have a ton of mistakes. So what's a favorite one? I think we might get two stories uh, from Dave today. Um, and, and those two stories to, to introduce him, um, you know, there are a couple different aspects of a very interesting career. Um, so Dave Raymond is a pioneer as a sports mascot. So you might be wondering, hey, Mark, why are you so casual if you're watching me on uh, YouTube here? Well, Dave was the first p- person to perform as the Philly fanatic. And I'm, I'm really happy to be wearing a T-shirt with a cartoon drawing, at least, of the fanatic, of course, associated with the Philadelphia Phillies. Dave uh, performed as the fanatic for 16 years. He did so in 48 states and five countries. Which two states did you not make it to? <laughs> uh, it was uh, South Dakota and Wyoming. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that's kind of funny to, to, for you to throw that at me because I've been asked that uh, uh, quite a bit. Right. So yeah, well, me. good. No, it's all right. Um, so then Dave um, has had a, a second career, if you will. He started Raymond Entertainment Group. Uh, company 20 years ago. He has designed and rehabilitated hundreds of character brands for Fortune 500 companies, sports teams, colleges, and universities, including the one that stands out to me in particular. I've lived in Dallas for a while, and I remember the introduction of Victor E. Green, the mascot for the Dallas Stars. So thank you for doing that as well, Dave. My pleasure. Named after the the, uh, title for the color, the very specific color, that they that they have in their logo and their brand sheet, mm-hmm. which by the way was extremely difficult for us to dye and capture that exact <laughs> color. So it's kind of appropriate that they decided to name the character after Victory Green because it wasn't Victory when we started. It was, <laughs> it was a challenge. It was difficult to that, but they're a great client of ours, and they've done a fabulous job with Victor. Yeah. So um, I think there's there's so much we can delve into. Um, Dave also founded the Mascot Hall of Fame in 2005. Did you induct? The, the, the fanatic in the inaugural class. 
we did. And that was we had no process. You know, we were doing this uh, to start as somewhat of a way to to show people how valuable mascots were. And so we figured they need their Hall of Fame. So we inducted the Fanatic, the Phoenix Gorilla and the San Diego Chicken. Well, deserved. we felt nobody would argue those three. Well, much to our delight uh, on PTI, pardon the interruption, with Kornheiser and Wilbon on ESPN, they for for their their minute round for a minute they had our mascot Hall of Fame logo <laughs> up. We just just kicked this off, and the two of them were arguing about why the fanatic didn't belong, and then the chicken did. It was just trem- and I'm sitting there just smiling ear to ear as they're screaming at each other about something that we thought there, there'd be no argument, but there is, and there continues to be with every induction yeah, class. Yeah, well, that's brilliant. I mean, that's what I mean. These shows are just about arguing sometimes for the sake of arguing. <laughs> Well, true, I love the I love uh, love the show, but um, so I'm going to ask Dave questions about these different aspects of his career. Um, he's also a motivational speaker. Um, he does a lot of virtual work now. He's the author of the book uh, "The Power of Fun." So um, I don't know. We we can call today's episode "My Favorite Mascot." <laughs> Good, great. Sounds like a mistake. I did that in personal. Uh, I, I did that intentionally, and see, I. No, you're wearing the brand. You, uh, I've got it all over here. The book, the, the you know, we're 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 an effort to brand and be uh, consistent. And thank yeah. you. <laughs> so uh, we're going to have fun talking about mistakes and all sorts of things here, um, Dave. So you, you've got a story first, Dave, about your time um, as the fanatic. If you if you could start with that favorite mistake. Well, and it was um, you know my dad, who was the head football coach at Delaware. He's the one that ironically, you know, got me a job. I, I always believe he used to make fun of me as a kid and, and tell me how great my gift of gab was. And then, of course, he'd say, now sit down and shut up. <laughs> and then he was the, he was the impetus to get me a job where I had to be a mute. Right, <laughs> so right. I, always, you know, my dad had some, uh, you know, some great, uh, obviously, inspiration in my career. But, you know, I'm, I'm I was brought up in in a home where Delaware football was not just a game. It wasn't a sport. It was our life. And it also meant that if my dad's teams weren't winning, you know, we may not live in Newark, Delaware anymore. He may, you know, be let go and fired in that. And so for us, it was passionate. Um, And that's really my whole life was about going to those football games and living and dying on that field at Delaware Stadium and watching his teams. So I get the job with the Phillies and immediately it becomes successful. And I had all kinds of commitments that a 21 year old wouldn't be used to. Now, my dad had taught me about loyalty. He taught me about showing up on time and and doing the things and and proving to my employer that I was valuable. Mm -hmm. And once I did that, I I would value in return. So great upbringing. But when the schedule came in and very early on in 1978, when I saw there was a Saturday appearance where I was going to miss a Delaware football game, I just didn't show up to the Phillies, the Fanatic appearance. And I I can't miss my dad's football game. I mean, you know, so uh, I did that. And the next day, Bill Giles called me into his office. Now, this is my boss's boss. He is he was the brilliant mind behind the fanatic. Mm-hmm. It never would have been born without Bill. And uh, he said, hey, I see you didn't show up. What happened? And I said, and I kind of put my head down. I said, well, Mr. Jaws, I went to my dad's yeah. football game. So honesty was something I adhered mm-hmm. to. And he, and he stopped and he said, so you just didn't go to the, the appearance because you had, you wanted to see your dad's game. Yep. And he said, well, let me explain something to you, David. There were 370 people that came to this appearance in a small little business that were expecting the fanatic to be there. 
Those are mm-hmm. Phillies fans, but they're also uh, people that are looking to something that we're supposed to provide. So as as and I understand the importance of your father's games. I, uh, I you know, I'm, I'm in a sports background. This is what we're living here. But you cannot do that sort of thing. And I thought I was going to get fired. Yeah. I really did. I thought that was it. You know, they'll find somebody else. He said, but here's what we're going to do. I am going to deduct the three hundred dollars of the fee that would have in would have been brought in from that appearance from your paycheck. Mm. And my paycheck is not extremely large yeah, at that time. Yeah. So he that and he said, I just want you to understand, this is the thing I want you to understand, is people really are passionate about the fanatic. They're falling in love with you, and that's because of your work. So I want you to be just as passionate about your work as you are about your dad's mm. football games. And we have a backup for you. So if, you, if there are appearances <laughs> that you yeah. don't want to make, just work with Chrissy, who is our scheduling person. And it, the enlightened leadership and continued to get from the Phillies and specifically from Bill Giles and the ownership, the Carpenter family, was amazing. And it wasn't until I started to work outside of the Phillies environment for other major league teams or for other partners with the Phillies that I discovered, wow, I'm working in a really different environment. And and so the seeds of of powerful fun and and building a great culture and appreciation and recognition. The Phillies did that naturally. And I was blessed to learn that lesson early that I could make a mistake. Frankly, I was encouraged to make mistakes, not like that, but encouraged to make mistakes, grow and develop the fanatics personality. And I was allowed that, that quarter, I was allowed that flexibility um, and those collaborative meetings with Bill Giles, you know, my, who ended up being the owner of the yeah. Phillies, happened frequently. So I was a low, I mean, in the early going, I was an intern. I was a low-level employee that my boss's boss was collaborating with mm-hmm. me. It was incredible, and I'm glad that mistake happened because I learned it early, and I learned how not to disappoint the Philadelphia fans. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a lesson in, in not taking something good for granted, Oh, well, that's no question. And, and I was, you know, the, 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 uh, the trite adage of I was young and stupid. But I think that, you know, a lot of our young generations uh, don't get the benefit of learning something early that will, uh, will pay them dividends throughout their entire life. So my, my only advice is, uh, you know, try to recognize the mistakes early yeah. that have shaped you because they're really valuable. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. And, um, I want to ask you know a few questions about um, being the fanatic. Like for one, you mentioned um, being encouraged to make mistakes. I guess the great thing about that character, if you trip or stumble, you you, you just play it off like it's it's intentional comedy, right? Oh, there's no question. I, I think so. I've been blessed and credited with creating a personality that has entertained over you know 80 million fans and counting. And, and that's a wonderful blessing to have, plus the, the love, the beloved uh, feedback from Philadelphia fans. But it, the reason why I was able to create that was that the, the Phillies gave me very little direction. They said, go out and have fun. It has to be G-rated yeah. fun and, um, and figure this out and we'll, we'll help you develop. So like you said, I the very first time I came out, within the first few minutes, I actually tripped and <laughs> fell because I got tripped. And people laughed, um, you know, like like uh, Robin Williams yeah, just yeah. you know did a great uh, routine. And I went, okay, wait, I got to fall down more. Um, <laughs> I already had in my mind that I needed to be frenetic. Yeah. What I had naturally and authentically was the heart of a Philadelphia Phillies fan because I was one. I, I knew the insecurity. 
I knew the den of iniquity north of us that we were always trying to uh, overcome. Uh, I understood, uh, you know, uh, victory being snatched by defeat so many times in the Phillies history. And and I was living and breathing that. So I'm, I mashed together slapstick comedy with my favorite shows, The Three Stooges yeah. or my cartoons from Warner Brothers and just mashed it up, made sure it was G-rated entertainment and you know, was given the ability to to build this personality on my own, and and that is, I think, the reason why it, it's it's been so successful for long yeah. term. Yeah, and so I mean, how did you get that job? Did you have like education as a mime or theater or da- or dance, or did you how how how, how do you get this job? You, did you kind of luck into it, or what happened? Well, I I got the job because I was low man on the totem pole, <laughs> and I, I like to say I was the only one that was stupid enough to say yes to this idea. <laughs> And that was because of my dad's, you know, um, my dad's focus on go show them you're valuable. You know, I would say yes to once I got the job as an intern, I forgot about coaching football because I went, wow, I I could work for my hometown baseball team. I mean, sports marketing was not, you know, an education selection. Uh, You get some business. But I was studying to be a teacher and a coach because I wanted to be a coach like my dad. So I get this job in two summers. I'm like, I'm in. You know, I'll do anything you ask me. And it was supposed to be a two-year internship. Mm-hmm. But in 78, they called and said, do you want your job back for the 78 summer? And I said, yes. Will you stay for the games? <laughs> that was a perk, right? And they said, we're going to pay you to stay for the games. You know, just go to New York and get fitted for the costume. Yeah. And that's where the confusion came in. And I, I started to protest. And they said, no, no, look, just go to New York and get fitted for the costume. Yeah. And that's all they cared about. Wow. We've got the design done. We've got the costume being built. We need a performer to say yes to go into New York and get fitted for the costume. And then we'll figure it out Hmm. from there, which is truthful the way a lot of their ballpark entertainment, their value-added entertainment was created by, you know, the current pop culture and what's going on and how can we engage more than just baseball fans. So this cartoon character concept came in and I truly was someone who would have said yes to anything. I would have been Kite Man, okay, (laughs) which was... which would have been a dangerous yeah. uh, 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 approval. But I, I said yes immediately because, and then, you know, once it was all together, I realized I was getting no direction. And that's when I went to Bill Giles and said, what do you want me to mm-hmm. do? And he said, you need to go have yeah. fun. It's got to be curated fun. But if you're not having fun, this isn't going to work. Well, I mean, right. can you imagine the empowerment that I got from, you're going to get paid. You're working for your your favorite baseball team. You're going to prove your value on something brand new. And it, I was just so motivated and lost all of my fear and concerns with that direction. Yeah. And, and it truly was the inspiration, not only behind the success of the Fanatic, but the success of Gritty, mm-hmm. you know, which we which we were engaged by the Flyers to uh, work on that oh, project. Wow. Okay. And Good. it's the same it's the same process that has you know morphed into. <laughs> my book and the lessons that we learned that I learned as a 21, 22 year old. And Gritty was unveiled for the Philadelphia Flyers just maybe what, two years ago? Uh, I think we're going on the third year anniversary. Yeah. So people can go uh, check out um, Gritty. And uh, I got to go to a Phillies game like a year and a half ago and they sell t-shirts. These are knockoff t-shirts. So I'm not not encouraging copyright violation, but there are t-shirts with both uh, the fanatic and Gritty and, you know, it seemed like they have. Oh yeah, that, yeah that, that's the one that that got some copyright inspection, but yeah. uh, but I believe it's been approved now. Oh, okay. So they they have um, there, there's some wonderful images that they are that both 
teams are doing well yeah, off. And there's but, there's licensing opportunities, which is the business uh, here today. But um, I, I've got to ask though, um, you know, Philly fans are. Um, notorious uh, for, for for being tough, and there's the, the incident where they supposedly booed uh, a Santa Claus at an Eagles game. I mean, what was the reaction of coming out there? I remember the, the Boston Red Sox about 20 years ago. I hope this wasn't your project. Um, I should have researched this in advance. Um, the Red Sox unveiled the mascot, Wally the Green Monster. Wally the Green Monster. And he was booed and kind of put in hiding for a while and I think has eventually become more yeah, accepted. He- He's he's a he's a staple, and he's uh, and and the reason why it worked was what we talk about. There was some authentic storytelling behind the concept, as opposed to what we did with the Phillies in the beginning. Is we we just showed up mm-hmm. and we told the story afterwards because people were asking, um, and that was a great lesson to learn. But you know the Philadelphia fans, we, we get a bad rap. Okay, <laughs> you'll hear this from Philly fans all the time. We get a bad rap. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we did this. Yes, we did that. Yes, I was there. I saw that. Right. But you could virtually find um, mirror incidents around the country in any sporting facility. But for some reason, over the decades, the Phillies have earned this reputation as a booing Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. So, yes, that was part of my fear. But what overcame that fear was the surprise, which surprise, surprising fun is always powerful mm-hmm. and the uniqueness of the character. It's something that you wouldn't expect. You, unique and surprise are two um, nice principles to follow when you're trying to look for success um, with any type of branding or marketing. And then, you know, again, I understood the heartbeat of the Philadelphia fan uh, because it was authentic. It was I was one of them. So if I saw a Mets fan with a Mets hat, I knew exactly how to treat that person. Now, I didn't treat them like somebody in in Philly's fandom that would go overboard. I treated him in a way that where I could, you know, get a little bit of uh, re- great response from Phillies fans, like taking the Mets hat and and flipping it on the field, mm-hmm. right? Oh my gosh, he took that Mets hat and flipped it on the yeah. field, and then the 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 uh, fan would be like, oh my gosh, you my Mets hat. Well, then the fanatic would jump off of his chair, run down, go onto the field, accidentally step on the hat, but then pick it up and recover it, dust it off, and give it back to the Mets fan. All the while. That we are, you know, building some bonds through this this wonderful, you know, slapstick comedy that connected even Philadelphia fans to opposing fans when we did it right. Yeah. So it, it was really pretty easy to win them over because mm-hmm. they weren't expecting it, and then anything I did became a surprise. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've got to ask. I want to ask two other questions about your fanatic experience before we talk about some of your um, other businesses, Dave. Um, a, a friend of mine from college, um, Jen Burke. Um, wanted me to ask a question because she and her husband, who's also a friend, they are Philly season ticket holders. Um, she has a fanatic golf driver head cover. I'm not, I'm butchering the words. I'm not a golfer, but it's in her golf bag. She, she loves the fanatic. And so she wanted to ask, like, was there anything that surprised you about, um, the longevity of the character and the longevity that you had, I'll add a related question, the, the longevity that you had inside as the fanatic. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's 43 years ago, you know, April, April 25th of 1978. So 43 years of the fanatic uh, with two main performers. I mean, Tom Burgoyne, who's one of my best friends is, is now the current best friend of the fanatic. And, uh, you know, that's pretty spectacular. So if you had asked me at 20, 21 years old that we were starting this, 
um, I would have told you, oh, no, no, this this will just be like one of those promotions we've done, mm-hmm. like Kite Man. And maybe he'll come back every now and then. But it's it's not going to last for a long time. Most of us, other than Bill Giles and some of the other people that were on board with the concept, felt that it was just going to be kind of a flash in the pan and uh, the fans were going to react bitterly uh, in a negative fashion and and it wouldn't work. But they would they would actually, you know, be thrilled for that to happen, too, because sometimes those mistakes like Kite Man became famous yeah. and and infamous. And, and the fans would look for the next failure because that was part of what was surprised about uh, going to a Philadelphia Phillies game. So, uh, yes, I was surprised by the longevity. But now, again, by deconstructing these these steps and this process, it's obvious to me why it had has lived on, because it was uh, authentic. It was supported. It was uh, some fearlessness in Bill Giles and his staff to push forward with this and to get it done and not to worry about people say, wait a minute, a Muppet, a Muppet can't be a mascot for the Phillies. And he would say, well, why not? Of course it is. You know, as long as, you know, David evolves this as an authentic Philadelphia Phillies fan. So, you know, that was, we, we, the steps that we took that made the fanatic last for 43 years. And trust me, for hundreds of years from now, as long as baseball is still being played in Philadelphia, the fanatic is going to be part of it. And that that's how, uh, you know, it's a billion dollar brand extension, yes. you know, when you not, not just revenue, but the goodwill is hard to calculate. So at least a billion dollar brand extension that was all created because of some fearless, fearlessness, uh, some surprise, a, a unique quality to it. And most importantly, authentic storytelling. Yeah. And those are great lessons to carry forward into um, other industries. Um, before the last fanatic question, when when Dave says Muppet, like I know enough of the history here that uh, the fanatic was literally created by Bonnie Erickson, who worked with Jim Henson, and she created Miss Piggy and other famous uh, Muppets characters. So it's a, yeah, it's a, Statler, Statler and Waldorf, the two old men that argue <laughs> in the balcony. Those are those are definitively Bonnie's creation. She worked on a team of people that created Miss Piggy. But if you were to do, if you were to Google Bonnie Erickson, and there are uh, some pictures of her as a, as a young woman, her hair was the inspiration (laughs) behind Miss Piggy's hair. And if, if you look at her hair with the flips and the curls, it's so funny that, and even the color uh, really is, (laughs) is where, so she can claim credit certainly to uh, Miss Piggy's hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the other question I wanted to ask you, you know, we, um, very recently um, lost uh, baseball legend Tommy Lasorda, uh, was Dodgers manager. And I went back and I watched the video that I've seen before of, of an altercation that you had on field with Tommy. And it's hard to tell how serious that was. I mean, was that was that was he really angry with you or was that all in good fun? Uh, well, I'll tell you, this is great because I was interviewed on WIP about this and and, you know, condolences to the Tom, Tommy's family and his brothers. I mean, he is from Norristown. And uh, I said, the only, the only bad thing is that suffering that the family is going through. But, you know, I I rejoice in, in getting the opportunity to know Tommy. So, so uh, John Marks on WIP said, oh, okay. So he was okay with it until he wasn't, which I thought that was, that was a perfect description. Yes. For years, all the way back to 1979, when I first got to know him in Japan, when the fanatic was the mascot for Major League Baseball's tour of Japan, mm-hmm. where an all-star team from American League and an all-star team from the National League went and played 
you know, these demonstration, these these uh, fun games in front of Japanese audiences. And they were filling the stadiums. And Tommy Lasorda was a god in mm-hmm. Japan. I mean, he he was the brand extension for American Major League Baseball. And they love and continue to love baseball in Japan. So I would make fun, as the fanatic would make fun of Tommy, and the fans, the Japanese fans, would go absolutely hysterical. It's like making fun of the Pope. Mm. You know, and they were they couldn't believe it. And they were they were gasping and then they were laughing. And when Tommy realized that he was a showman and he understood the timing and we did this whole routine in front of the Japanese audience, which continued to reoccur the following years in Philadelphia when the Dodgers came and he was all a part Mm -hmm. of it. Uh, It got to be a little more intense because he was trying to lose weight during that particular time. He hadn't had pasta for a few weeks. And he came in there and he was trying to stop me from he didn't know how I was getting his jersey mm-hmm. to dress up the, the effigy, yeah. the dummy like Tommy. So he was get colluding with their clubhouse manager not to bring multiple Lasorda jerseys <laughs> on the road. So he thought he had prevented it. So I went and bought a jersey, had it embroidered for that particular night. And I think it was the perfect storm. And and like Johnny Mark said, that's when he didn't. He, he loved it, got along with it until well, he did. Because the, the, and that, the, the that, effigy had a, a big pillow stuffed in its belly, it seemed. <laughs> it did. And I, I should have just removed the pillow and said, look, you've lost your weight. <laughs> you know, you're, uh, but we made up and yeah. he, listen, he was uh, very genuine in his kindness towards me. You know, he would say, you know, David, I love you. I hate that fanatic. <laughs> so I took as a compliment sure. that I was able to be such a good performer <laughs> that I was able to separate my entity from the fanatics in his mind. Yeah. Um, and he always used to say to me, how's your dad? You know, Tommy lived till he's 93. I lost my dad three years mm-hmm. ago this December. He made it to 92. Oh, yeah. And uh, I always appreciated that. You know, he, he was in, you know, Tommy was a manager of a major league team and he always recognized what I lived with and what my dad would go through uh, being a head football yeah. coach. And um, so I, I, I'll miss him. I think the my, the thing that I said numerous times during that that period where he passed was that baseball, we're weeding out that tr- those tremendous personalities mm-hmm. uh, that seem to have been uh, diluted because of analytics and the new way that they, you know, teach baseball, coach baseball, manage baseball. Yeah. You know, we, we, Earl Weaver, Jay Johnstone, <laughs> Tommy Lasorda, Tug McGraw, they're all gone. Yeah. Um, and, and we need that. And, and he was the best ambassador in baseball because he, he had that great personality. He was a showman, but he also understood how, what a beautiful game it was. And he inspired the, the crowd to see that beauty that I think we're missing. Yeah. So we're going to talk about fun in different aspects of business. Um, but first, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, you know, Earl Weaver was huge when I was a kid and I was a huge baseball fan. And one element of fun that's sort of been a re- removed by this clinical instant replay is the theater of an Earl Weaver coming out and turning his hat around and yelling and kicking dirt. I mean, that that was fun, I think. Yeah, it was. And it, and it is a important part of the game to to a, to really capture the minds of young people. Um, especially with the uh, instant gratification of many of the things that are capturing young people's attention today, whether it's gaming or whether it's sports like hockey um, or, or football that are more fast paced. Um, and, and, you know, baseball, there's a beauty to the, 
you know, the relaxed atmosphere at times throughout a baseball game as you move up towards the, you know, the eighth, seventh, eighth and ninth yes. inning. Um, and, um, you know, you can teach a, a, a value for that. And one of the things was you will never know what's going to happen because of the umpire's control over decisions. Yeah. Um, and and I, I really I hate to sound like an old guy, <laughs> but I'm getting yeah. there. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm. Well, it's not like it used right. to be, Johnny. <laughs> Never going to be like that again. And, you know, smoking on my pipe and, and, and extolling this old gray wisdom. But I'm talking about fun and excitement yeah. for kids today. And, and that's we need some of that. Well, and so when you think about fun in business, I mean, one other thing that came to mind, though, um, if you got under the skin of the visiting team's manager, and you created distraction. That was fun, but that seemed like that might be some shred of business advantage for the Phillies. Oh, that's a great, that's, that's a super question, Mark. And I don't get asked that often, um, you know, and I wouldn't want to overspeak my ability. Right. But I, you know, inside of my mind was, yes, I think the distraction is a positive thing. It is a home field mm -hmm. advantage. And you could do it subtly so that they were playing along because most of the things I did with players were inspired by the opposing players wanting to interact with the fanatic. Yeah. You know, once the game started, that that sort of interaction was left to the umpires and the base coaches. But and certainly you didn't bother with a starting pitcher because it was like like a football game to the starting pitcher, the way they have to emotionally get ready for it. But the rest was open business, you know. I'll, you know, all kinds of things pregame that, that I could do. And I always felt like that, yeah, if you could just get them off their game a little bit, why wouldn't that potentially be something yeah. that would be positive? Now, some of the players would say, like Dave Parker, I love to smack you around because those fill-in-the-blanks would boo me. And I <laughs> loved it when the Phillies fans booed me because that made me better. So with Dave Parker, I had to be careful. Yeah. I didn't want to enthuse you know, yeah. him too he much. He was a huge guy. <laughs> Oh, he, oh, there were some big guys on that whole Pirates, yes. uh, very big human beings. Yes. So, um, we, you know, we, we use this phrase in the workplace, you know, people talk about, you know, this serious business. I know this is a passion of yours and, and, and you talk about and you have your book, The Power of Fun. I mean, why should we be having more fun at work? Is it a mistake to be so serious? Well, I think that the problem, you know, it's funny, the beauty of my message is also the great problem with my message. The word fun as a standalone, especially with leadership, goes right to the consensus. And I've learned in business that the best business opportunities that, that are good financially on paper, but difficult for a consensus opinion like Uber, okay, that was good on paper. They realized financially it could be a big success. But when they explain to somebody that you're going to basically jump in a car with a stranger and, and not exchange any money, you're going to give them a credit card or, you know, a way that they can get into your bank account to take money from you and they'll take you wherever you want and they wouldn't be a professional driver. Like, what? Yeah. That's crazy, right? So the word fun, the consensus is, oh, it's when we're slacking off. Mm. We're taking a break. We're not focused on business. We're, we're having a vacation. We're drinking a few adult beverages with my friends and everybody. That's consensus. The, non, the way we start with our clients is, I want you to tell me how fun could save your life. Mm. Because if we could truly get, and, and there's plenty of opportunity in my experience to show how fun can save your life. And I'm not making a joke. It is absolutely true that fun can save your life. Then we start having them think of fun in the serious consensus realm. So we say, 
the powerful fund, if done properly and following the steps, the output, the ROI is serious fun, mm -hmm. fun that you've worked on, fun that you've innovated with, you've rehearsed, you edit, you roll it out, you get consensus feedback from everybody so that you tailor it to fit the area. And that's what we do with our corporate clients. We are building serious fun for you. We are going to show you the process. And there's no fooling around with the process. You've got to follow the process. But the beauty of the powerful fun in terms of process, it is also fun to do it, but you can't cut corners. You got to show up. You got to research and you have to understand your stories and the stories of your customers. And, you know, there's a lot of work and research that goes into powerful fun, which for leadership, it's this is serious fun. And yeah. we need your help to make it work. So it's not just fun. Uh, for fun's sake. It's fun for the sake of the business. Oh my gosh. It's, it's amazing that you said that. When I first started, I was a founder of a company called The Fun Department that, that was uh, still is uh, doing well. And we were going to be a team building company, which now we're more of training and development. And we, I would, one of the reasons why I started uh, speaking about the Power Fund was leaders that hired us would say, well, we want you to come in and tell our folks why we're doing this. And we use fun for fun's sake many times in the beginning. And we finally had a communications lead at ING Direct come to us and say, you can't say fun for fun's sake. Right. You can do it. Right. So what I used to do, we tell the leaders, it's not fun for fun's sake. We're not going to sell it that way. But once I got in front of the employees, I said, well, you know, your leaders believe in this, that, and the other thing. And, and all of that's true. But guess what? Shh. We're doing fun for fun's sake. Mm -hmm. and, and that connected to the employees like, oh, Okay. There, there's a result that our leader has approved, but we're just going to have that fun. That seems a little rebellious. And, but it, it, and it does. And, and But it's rebellion when a leadership has approved. <laughs> and and they, that's what we were going to do. So we only used fun for fun's sake as a way to say, we're doing this for you. Your leaders care about you. They want you to enjoy your time. And that's really all that matters. But by the way, it's going to do this, this, and this for the bottom line. Yeah. yeah but you don't have to know that. You just have to have fun. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, fun for a lot of companies has been good business. You think of Southwest Airlines internally and exterior, externally facing with passengers. They are fun. Many other airlines are super serious. And if they tried doing something fun, it would seem weird and off brand, even if it was better. I, I agree. Well, and, t and Tony Shea and Zappos and, and you know, we lost uh, a leader in this area in Tony Shea, but right. it was his whole concept was authentic storytelling. Mm -hmm. He wanted his people to feel comfortable to be authentic. Um, and, and that really still lives and breathes in delivering happiness. And Jenny Lim, you know, who was, you know, stewarded that company, they've all been knocked off their pegs a bit with Tony's passing right. uh, and untimely passing. But they've, you know, I've, I've seen the internal messaging about what they're doing uh, because the fund department is one of their preferred vendors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they it's it's an amazing uh, uh, DNA that has been created that can't change. It only can evolve and adapt. And that's what they're doing. And I, I think that if any leadership wants to know what's the bottom line benefit, it really is employee engagement through them understanding that you care about them. That That is the strongest way. I just listened to Chester Elton. Um, in a podcast, and he is a phenomenal leader in in culture, and and he hammered that over and over again. It's it's about appreciation. Uh, you engage your employees by telling them and demonstrating to them that you care about them, and that may not be in a giving them a raise. That mm -hmm. so one of the things you do is 
tell me what what you're motivated yeah. by. What motivates you to do this? So, and and so fun. The way we deliver it is fun isn't necessarily going to play a game. It's allowing people to express themselves with something on their desk. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it it can be fun is about something that might bring a smile or a laugh or surprise you. Um, because of the situation might you might not think of fun as part of it but yeah. and and the fun that saves your life is just fun that delivers some distracting moments to an individual who's struggling mightily and needs a break mm. and has no concept of how to do it and these intentional activities in the process of powerful fun give them that ability to personalize that and to do it daily and that's how you go from helplessness to you know, rising above, and eventually, when you're thriving in life, you use the same process to continue to thrive. Yeah. It's it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, Dave, um, the final question is really more of just um, something I want to share with you and get your reaction um, to before we wrap up. So, I've um, in my career been fortunate to work with uh, a lot of former Toyota people who worked in in Japan and Australia and the U.S. and Canada. And there, there's a corporate culture, and you think of you know Toyota, you would think of them being a very serious company. Um, Japanese kind of business culture is portrayed as being very serious. But when it comes to creativity and continuous improvement, the one phrase that I've heard used a lot in relation to Toyota is having a playful spirit. And that was surprising to me the first time I heard it. What, what's your reaction to hearing about something like that in a, in a, in a company? Let me tell you how much I love the Toyota brand. My daughter just turned in our Toyota Sienna to, to finally buy a new car. And it had 205,000 miles on it. And when she turned it in at the dealership, because we kind of gave it to her as a gift, say, you can turn this in as, as part of your down payment. My, my wife had a tear in her eye because she said, you know how much memories we have in that Toyota? And the only way we were able to keep that car is how well it performed. Yeah. So a playful spirit to me is is a beautiful way to describe, you know, kind of fun in a non-consensus way. You can be a serious business person and do all the hard preparation and work at your job while still enjoying it through this playful spirit. And that's the way you connect with customers and coworkers and leadership connects with their employees. They can be simple things that you do. It has to be authentic hmm. and you need to do it daily and it has to be ingrained in the DNA of the company. So, for instance, if you don't have great uh, atmosphere that you're working in, you, your, your desk, the heating, the air conditioning, the, the pay, it's all a mess. And the boss comes out and says, hey, here's $100. <laughs> it, it, that, that's not going to work. It's just because, well, what, uh, great, 100 bucks, but I'm getting, I'm getting underpaid by uh, $1,000. And I don't have the right tools. And you were asking me to do more than I possibly can do with the tools you're giving me. So it needs to be authentic. It needs to be daily. Um, and it does not have to cost a lot of money or time to do. It can be very simple. And playful spirit describes that well. It's something that you've internalized as part of your DNA. It's who you are. Yeah, that's very well said. And David, this has been such a pleasure to hear um, kind of you know the evolution of your career and and how well you articulate fun. And again, like you went from being the silent character to now that you can use your voice, you can articulate so much more. Uh, it's very funny. And, and uh, I'm, my dad, uh, as he saw me making this pivot, said, good for you. He just needed some time to be quiet. <laughs> uh, but anybody anybody that wants to know more about what we do is go to DaveRamonSpeaks.com. <clears throat> it is a, 
um, easy read and you'll get to know what we have to offer and we'd love to help out anybody who's interested in learning that process. Yeah. So I hope people will go check that out. And again, uh, the book is called The Power of Fun. Um, so that's something I'm going to go take a deeper read into beyond um, the sample and I hope everyone will go check that out. And um, th this has been a lot of fun. So thank you for sharing, um, being so generous with your time, Dave, and, and having such great stories and illustrating the power of fun. Thank you for that. And thank you for including me, and I and I love your format. We'll we'll get together over the next few months. And I'll share all my. Well, mistakes. you said there was one other story. I, I may well, well have you back on the show um, sometime if you're willing to do that. We, we've got plenty of them. Mark. Okay. <laughs> you're giving me a great platform to 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 uh, exercise all of this uh, all of these mistakes that I need to <laughs> cop, cop in. I won't charge you by the hour like a therapist would. <laughs> I don't know. Good. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Dave. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Mark. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.